From Santa Barbara, California, the Timeless Voyager series, where the knowledge is timeless and you are the Voyager. Interviews with leading-edge authors and speakers, psychic phenomena and the unexplained, UFOs, extraterrestrial encounters, government cover-ups, alternative health care, new technologies. Fasten your cosmic seatbelts and join me, your host, Bruce Stephen Holmes, the Timeless Voyager. Very exciting show prepared for you today. We will be speaking with Benjamin Krem. He is a painter, artist, author, co-editor of Share International, and a speaker. And his subject for many, many years now has been the reappearance of the Christ. Welcome to the show, Benjamin Krem. Thank you, Bruce. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, you specifically talk about Lord Maitreya when you speak about the reappearance of the Christ. Uh, for our listeners, why don't we start with who Lord Maitreya is and what is his function in this reappearance of the Christ? So Lord Maitreya is the head leader of the spiritual hierarchy of masters and initiates of this world, the esoteric hierarchy, a group of advanced, from our point of view, perfected men who for millennia with their predecessors, have lived in the remote mountain and desert areas of the world, like the Himalayas, the Andes, the Rockies, the Cascades, the uh, Carpathians, the Urals, the, the Atlas Mountains, the Gobi, and various other deserts. From these mountain and desert retreats, they have overseen, beneficently overseen, the evolution of humanity from the earliest times, bringing us gradually through their stimulus, their energetic stimulus, their teachings, through a, a constant expansion of consciousness, of conscious awareness, to the point where we have arrived at today, from early animal man up until modern man. All of this has taken place under the supervision and guidance, sometimes openly, oftentimes behind the scenes, of that group of from our point of view, perfected men. The Lord Maitreya is the head and leader of that group. As he is called by the Buddha and also by St. Paul in the, in the Bible, uh, the teacher alike of angels and of men. He is the world teacher. He holds the office of the world teacher in that group of perfected men, our spiritual hierarchy. The group around him are known as the masters of wisdom, the Lords of Compassion, and their task has been to oversee humanity's evolution, and they are men like us, who have simply preceded us in evolution, and by so doing, taken upon themselves the task, the responsibility of guiding humanity to that same achievement. The Lord Maitreya is so advanced, so evolved, so pure, he can actually embody in his own being a divine aspect, the, the aspect we call the Christ aspect, the Christ consciousness, the energy of love, the second aspect of the, of the uh, Christian trinity, God, the Son, or Christ aspect. And 2,000 years ago, his consciousness as the Christ entered into and worked through that of Jesus from the baptism to the crucifixion. And Jesus became Jesus the Christ. But in fact, it was the Lord Maitreya overshadowing Jesus who presented himself and his teachings, his energies, his inspiration and guidance to the people of that time, and which has, of course, reverberated down the centuries. Just as 500 years earlier, the Buddha, the brother of Maitreya, overshadowed and used the vehicle of the, the body of his disciple, the Prince Gautama, and at age 29, Gautama became Gautama Buddha. Jesus became Jesus the Christ. This is the age-old way for the presentation of the teachers. And the coming of a teacher is a cyclic event. It is not an unusual event. It's a highly important event, but it is cyclic in nature. At the beginning or end of every new age, every cosmic cycle, such a teacher under cosmic law comes into the world. 
We know them historically, some of the better known ones as Hercules, Hermes, Rama, Mithra, Vyasa, Zoroaster, Confucius, Krishna, Shankaracharya, Buddha, Christ, Muhammad. These are all names of great masters, men like us who achieved their mastery through the evolutionary process, not as put forward by the various religious groups as the Son of God or God incarnate, but men like us who achieved the divinity, but by the very same steps that we today take to achieve that divinity. Each one of us, and this is the teaching behind all the teachings, each one of us is potentially divine. Every one of us is a divine soul in incarnation. Our problem has been that that soul finds it difficult to demonstrate its divine reality on the physical plane. And the process of evolution is the process by which this takes place. Coming into incarnation again and again and again, humanity gradually evolves a body, a vehicle, on the physical plane, which allows the soul to manifest more truly, more perfectly through it. And this is the process of evolution which, in the end result, achieves mastery. And the masters no longer need at, at, uh, incarnate on this planet. The, the, their presence on the, on the planet is simply the result of their desire and their taking upon themselves the responsibility of overseeing our evolution, showing us the way. Tell us, Benjamin, a little bit about the recent appearances of Maitreya and the effects that he has had on the world affairs. Well, if we just look around the world over the last few years, we see the impact of his presence, his energies, his influence on world leaders. He has been in the modern world, coming down from his retreat in the Himalayas, where he has lived for thousands of years in a mountain center some 17,500 feet up. He came down from that center on the 8th of July, 1977. On the 19th of July, he entered London, England, and he has been there ever since. He lives there in the Asian community, as an apparently ordinary member of that community, surrounded by a group of holy men, swamis from India, and a much larger group of individuals in the community with uh, people from the English community, from America, from Australia, from Japan, from different parts of Europe and so on. People from all over the world have gathered round him in that community and uh, there he teaches, there he awaits an invitation from humanity when we are ready to present it to him, to come forward and give him the opportunity to prove his reality as the Christ and to awaken humanity to the new age which is now dawning. Most of your listeners will know that we are entering a new cosmic cycle, the age of Aquarius. And this is not some new age fantasy, it's not an astrological prognostication, it's a scientific fact. It is, as some people will know, the result of the precession of the equinoxes in astronomical terms. But in layman's terms, it is the result of the movement of our solar system around the heavens in relation to the 12 constellations of the zodiac. Our sun makes a journey in relation to these 12 constellations, which takes about 25 to 26,000 years to complete. And so approximately every 2,150 years, our sun comes into a special relationship, an energetic alignment with each of the constellations in turn. For the last 2,000-odd years, we have been in that alignment with the constellation Pisces. That age was inaugurated 2,000 years ago by Jesus. Maitreya informed the consciousness in Jesus, overshadowed Jesus. Maitreya comes now, in fact, is now in the world since the 19th of July, 1977, living in London, to continue what he began through Jesus, but this time himself not using the vehicle of a, of a disciple as then and as all previous manifestations of the teacher, but in his own full physical being. And uh, this is the beginning of the new age, the new age of Aquarius, which brings new energies into the world and therefore new opportunities for, for humanity responding to these energies to create a new type of civilization. And he has come to inspire us to do that, to show us what 
is wrong, to show us why we are living in pain and suffering, why we have wars, why we have what he calls this blasphemy of millions of people starving to death in a world of plenty, why we have a third of the world, the, the undeveloped world, the, the developed world rather, usurping and greedily wasting three quarters of the world's food, 83% of the other resources of the world, while millions starve and die, when a fifth of the world's population lives in condition of absolute poverty. This he calls a blasphemy. He says, nothing so moves me to grief as this shame. The crime of, of separation must be driven from this world. I affirm that as my purpose. He has come to inspire humanity to, do, to become what essentially and potentially we are, divine beings. And that means we have to institute divine institutions, political, economic, as well as religious, social, scientific, and so on. We tend to relegate anything spiritual to the religious field. But from the point of view of the masses, the religious field is only one field, only one path to God. But they say that the political life of humanity, the economic structures, the science, the social uh, relationships, the, the educational facilities, the culture, all of that should relate to the spiritual basis at the heart of humanity. And to do that, we have to change the current, the current political economic structures. So what humanity is undergoing is a great spiritual crisis, but it is focused today through the political and economic field. And so Maitreya comes in the first place as a, an educator in the broadest sense of that word, not as a a founder of a new religion. He says, I have not come to found a new religion. People should continue to evolve within the framework of their own tradition, whatever it is. I have not come to create followers. In fact, he says, if you follow me, if you run after me, if you try to put me in your pocket, claim me, own me, then you will lose me. He says, I don't want you to believe in me or not to believe in me. What I seek is that you experience me. And there is only one way you can experience him, and that is in the heart. He is the embodiment of what we call the Christ principle, the Christ consciousness. And where that principle is awakened in your heart, he can and will work through you, change the world through, he, through you. He doesn't come to change the world. He comes to inspire us to change the world and to create the conditions in which the true spiritual nature of humanity can demonstrate on a world scale for the first time. No longer simply individuals, men and women in different parts of the world, all alone perhaps, or in small groups, awakening to the spiritual reality at their base and meditating and gradually evolving separate from humanity, uninvolved un, uh, in, in the pain and the trials of humanity, but all of humanity, all together, moving forward along the evolutionary path and entering what Christians call the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of souls. The kingdom of souls is the spiritual hierarchy of masters and initiates of which Maitreya is the head. I have heard of a man or a teacher by the name of Sanat Kumara, and I was wondering if you would explain his role in this hierarchy. Yes, Sanat Kumara is not a teacher. He's not really a man. He is a great cosmic being who is the reflection on the etheric physical plane of the Logos, the heavenly man, the cosmic being ensouling our planet. He is the named in the Bible, the Christian Bible, or rather the, the Jewish part of that Bible, as the Ancient of Days. He is the Jehovah of the Jews. He is our Father in Heaven of the Christian Bible. He is a man, a young man, a youth, who came from the planet Venus, this is mind-boggling, but true. He came from the planet Venus 18 and a half million years ago. He has various names. He's known as the Youth of Endless Summers, the One Initiator, the King, the World Teacher. He is, I beg your pardon, not the World Teacher, the, the uh, Lord of the World. Maitreya is the World Teacher, who you could say is a disciple 
of Sadat Kamara, if that is the right term to use in that, that relationship. Sadat Kamara is the direct physical, albeit etheric physical, plane reflection of our Logos. And he dwells with a great many other great beings, uh, Kamaras, and one of the group around him is the Buddha, the, the Buddha who manifested through the Prince Gautama 2,500 years ago. Uh, a group of Kamaras and, and exalted beings like the Buddha who really oversee what happens on this planet. They, they dwell in a center called Shambhala. Shambhala is a center in etheric physical matter in the Gobi Desert. It is sometimes designated in the teachings as a, a city on the physical plane. It isn't. It's a huge ball of light on the two highest of the four etheric planes, high up in the atmosphere of the Gobi Desert. And from there, the plan of God, the plan of the Logos of our planet issues. The, the masters of the spiritual hierarchy under the leadership of Maitreya take that plan and approximate it through humanity to the possible. Each of the masters, and there are 63 masters concerned with the human evolution, many more masters with, concerned with the other evolutions, the subhuman evolutions and the devic or angelic evolutions. But as far as the human evolution is concerned, there are 63 masters. These masters take a part of the plan, a section of the plan that conforms to their particular qualities and, and rays, as they're called, qualities of energy. And through their various groups, men and women in the world, the plan works out. And so the evolution of humanity has proceeded from the earliest times, according to the teaching, for the last 18 and a half million years, when the energy, which we call mind, was brought from the planet Venus by Sanat Kumara and a group of other Kumaras, as they're called, great exalted cosmic beings, radiated into the potential mind of early animal man, and the whole human evolution began at that point. The human souls waiting on the soul level for that particular point in the Earth's evolution took incarnation for the first time. This is symbolized in the uh, Bible as the, the fall of man, the descent of Adam and Eve from paradise onto the everyday world. It was a planned descent. It was not a fall. But it is a symbolic presentation of the way in which the souls, the perfected human souls on their own plane, took upon themselves that sacrifice and descended into incarnation, into dense physical bodies, in order to, to bring these bodies back to a point of perfection from which they came. We are in incarnation to spiritualize matter. And we do it by a gradual process, coming into incarnation again and again and again, gradually raising the vibrational rate of the atomic structure of our succession of bodies until we reach a time when the soul can dwell in that body in its perfection. Then the evolutionary process is finished. We are then free to go on to higher planets or, in some cases, off the, out of the solar system altogether. Let's talk a little bit about transmission meditation. You uh, talk a, a great deal about it and practice it and teach it, and I wonder if you could explain this to the listeners. Yes, transmission meditation is a form of service and meditation which has been introduced to the world by my master. And it follows on from the Triangles Movement, which was initiated through Alice A. Bailey, who gave the Alice Bailey teaching some 24 deeply esoteric works uh, between 1919 and 1949, which were, 19 of which were dictated to her by one of the masters, the Tibetan master, Master Jial Kul, DK as he's usually known. And uh, these represent the teachings, the intermediate phase of the teachings for this new age which is, is dawning just as the theosophical teachings, the books like The uh, Secret Doctrine, Isis Unveiled, and so on, of Madame Blavatsky, were the, in, the, in, the initiatory, the first uh, introductory phase of the teachings for the New Age. The Tibetan master said that uh, a new phase of the teachings would be given 
worldwide through the medium of the radio and, uh, of course, now by television sometime after 1975. The implication being, the momentous implication being, that these will be given actually verbally alive over the radio and television by the masters because they were returning to the world. And that is what I've been talking about. Since 1975, the masters have taken up the positions. There are now 14 masters in the world, one in New York, one in London, one in Geneva, one in Darjeeling, one in Tokyo, one in Moscow, one in Rome. The one in Rome is the Master Jesus. The disciple of Maitreya in Palestine, Jesus, is now a very advanced master, works with the Lord Maitreya on a daily, hourly basis, and is in charge of the Christian churches, wherever they are to be found. And uh, he has been living in the outskirts of Rome for the last four years, almost four years. There's a master in the hills outside uh, Los Angeles and various other masters, 14 in all, in different parts of the world. And eventually there will be some 40 masters in the world besides the master of all the masters, the Lord Maitreya, who at the moment lives in London. Now, the, the transmission meditation takes further the triangles movement initiated by the master DK through Alice Bailey. The masters have at their disposal tremendous energies, cosmic, solar, and planetary. But if they were to simply release these into the world, which is their role, they would the energies themselves are so high that they would, in a large measure, be unable to be absorbed by humanity. They would bounce off the mass of humanity. So transmission meditation groups are formed through which the energies are sent in the first place. So the, the groups become like transformers, like in electricity. If you have 110 volts or 240 volts, and you put your finger in it, you could get a shock that would kill you. But if you use transformers, you can bring that down to a very safe, handleable 1.5-volt battery. Transformers are used in the same way in the spiritual realm as transmission meditation groups. There are The first group was initiated by my master in London in, in uh, March 1974, and now there are hundreds of groups all over the world. There are several hundred in this country, U.S., and uh, over a hundred in Japan, and, and all over all the countries that I've been to, and many where I have never been, have a large number of transmission groups. And they act as, as transformers for the spiritual energies. The energies are sent through the chakras, the four centers in the spine of the individuals making up the group, and automatically, as this takes place, the energies are stepped down, transformed. They lose power, of course, but they also become more available, more usable by humanity. And these energies are the energies which transform the world. When we wake up and we find that the Berlin Wall has come down, that East and West Germany are united, that Nelson Mandela is released, that he is talking with the South African government round the table when uh, tremendous transformations are happening all over the world, when Soviet Union is opened up to Glasnost, when the Cold War is ended by the, mainly the action of Mr. Gorbachev and so on. All of this is a response by humanity to the energies sent into the world by hierarchy. These inspire humanity. These energies are conditioned by certain qualities, like synthesis, like uh, harmony, like equilibrium, like love, like power, a dynamic power energy, the, the first aspect, the Shambhala force, which galvanizes humanity into the will to good. It is the energy of will directed to all good. And this galvanizes humanity and makes possible the transformations. The, uh, the transmission groups do this as an act of service to the world. Now, it is not possible to have these great, powerful, cosmic spiritual forces transmitted through you in a very highly scientific manner by the masters without being transformed by them yourself. So each member of a transmission group is entering a kind of hothouse process in which his or her uh, evolutionary process is stepped up dramatically. In one year of regular sustained transmission meditation, you make the same kind of progress evolution as in maybe 10, 15, possibly 20 years of ordinary meditation. So it's a hothouse process, a forcing process. It's not for everybody, therefore, but for those who want to serve the world, 
easily with a minimum expenditure of time and energy and who wish to make as much progress in, the, in their life as possible, it could be that transmission meditation is for them. It's given to the disciples of the world, to the busy, active disciples, to easily, without great time and energy taken to serve the world. I mean, it's possible to be a Mother Teresa, you know? If we all had that capacity for self-sacrifice, we could serve the world in, in the way that she does. But people are busy, they have a very active, busy life, they have other things to do, and the transmission meditation provides a tremendously powerful way of serving with the minimum of time and, and energetic out, outlay. Why don't we talk about Share International? Well, Share International has been going since 1982. It's uh, published by Share International Foundation, which is a Dutch foundation. I'm uh, director of that foundation. And it has as a goal the showing the synthesis that underlies all the political, the economic, the social, and the spiritual changes which are occurring around the world. We seek to address the problems mainly of the third world, these problems which keep humanity separate the fact of starving millions, the, the needs of the third world. And our uh, contributors come from all over the world. Nobody receives any kind of compensation. It is all done by, uh, by freely given um, time and energy. And uh, it's published, it's printed in Holland. The printer is uh, very keenly interested in what we do and prints it at cost. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to... to printed at all, I should think. It's on subscription and uh, is available as a monthly magazine. It is one of our major tools in making known the fact of the presence of the Christ in the world. And uh, we focus on the synthesis which underlies all these changes, political, economic, social, and spiritual. And we seek to stimulate not only the, the realization of this, but practical action to rebuild our world along more just and more compassionate lines. That's what Share International is about. Free will is never infringed by hierarchy. And so it is up to the individual um, person, head of government or whomever, to respond or not respond. Maitreya calls market forces the forces of evil. They have built into them uh, inequality. That's why they're evil. The aim of the evolutionary process is towards unity and fusion. And anything which is separative in its tendency is necessarily evil. Market forces, based, the commercialization based on a blind following of market forces leads to the separations, the, the uh, differences in the world which we see today, where a third of the world live in relative luxury and two-thirds of the world live in utter penury. This imbalance, Maitreya says, is driving this civilization to the verge of destruction. And any, any government, he says, which follows market forces blindly is leading its nation to self-destruction. And he said this total grip which market forces now has on the world, even in the Soviet Union and beyond, is driving the world to a uh, total collapse, a collapse of the economic system, which he said is absolutely on the cards. He said it will begin with the uh, crash of the stock exchanges of the world beginning in Japan. He made that prophecy three years ago, and as you know, in the last two and a half years, the uh, stock exchange of Japan has lost over 50% of its value. He says this will continue. It is a bubble which is about to burst, it's inevitable that it does, and it is based on a deep materialism and therefore does not serve the, the needs of the world and must go. No one expects now major war between the great powers. But he says the energy which sent the planes into the world, which sent the tanks into the battlefield, doesn't just disappear when you switch off the engines. It, has, it goes round and round the world looking for a new home. And he has said this powerful destructive force generated by mankind's wrong thought and action uh, 
has found a new womb, as he calls it. That womb is commercialization. And he said it is now gripping almost every country on earth and will bring this civilization to its, to its very knees. He says it is based on market forces, which is based on greed. And that selfishness and greed demonstrating through the present economic system is now even being introduced into the Soviet Union. Now, through Mr. Gorbachev, he brought about Glasnost, but it was not uh, part of the plan that the Soviet Union should adapt itself to this completely unworkable uh, process of market forces. It is not going to work in the Soviet Union any more than it works in other parts of the world. It only works for a few. That is the tragedy of market forces. If we all began at the same place, if we all had the same resources, then market forces would have a logic. But of course, there is no country in the world which stands at the same point, and there's no people within each country standing at the same point. The differences are too great. The developed world and the developing world have such dichotomies of, of uh, living standards that market forces becomes what he calls the forces of evil in, in relation to their advancement. What exactly do you mean by the term market forces? Market forces is uh, usually seen as the play of the market, regulating supply and demand. And that is seen by more and more people generated from the West, mainly it's a Western capitalist concept, that if you provide an open market, then there's an automatic regulation of supply and demand. The theory is all right, but the practice is totally wrong. It's only an abstract theory, which in practice only works for a few. Already in the Soviet Union, there are people who have overnight, by selling, uh, acquiring and selling a, a, a sufficient number of, or let me just say, uh, table napkins or, or hair grips or, or, you know, curlers, hair curlers, have become millionaires. It bears no relation to the needs of the economy of the Soviet people. People are hungry, some are starving, people are living worse off than they have ever done in the 70 years of so-called communist rule, and they are introducing this new uh, method, raising prices, using market forces, because the prices have to be raised in relation to world prices, to bring about a, a kind of market force economy based on supply and demand. Supply, if you have the ability to pay. Demand is there. Everybody has to eat. Everybody has to have shelter. Everybody needs health care. Everybody needs education. But that is not something that market forces actually supplies. And Maitreya has said that when the stock markets of the world crash, which she says is inevitable, and it will begin in Japan, the priorities of all governments will change. The first priority will be the provision of adequate, correct food for all the people. Two, the provision of adequate housing, shelter for all the people. Three, the provision of adequate health care and education for all the people as a universal right. Now, that doesn't seem too much to ask for. Enough food, shelter, health care, and education. And yet there is no country in the world, not the richest country in the world, where all of these things pertain as a universal right. And Maitreya says when they do, they will transform this planet. These are the basic necessities of all peoples everywhere. And these are the first steps in the implementation of the principle of sharing, which is the first step in the impl implementation of the divine brotherhood and sisterhood, which underlies humanity's reality. Our listeners are probably very interested in where you get your information and how you get it. Yes, well, I get it from several sources. Uh, I am in touch moment to moment with one of the masters. I was contacted by him way back in January 1959, and I have been in the closest telepathic moment to moment contact with him ever since. And through him, I receive the up-to-date information as I need to know it about the, the appearances of the Christ and the gradual emergence of the Christ into, into open um, work in the world. The other source is 
from Maitreya himself through one of his associates, one of the members of the Asian community in London where he lives, who gives information on a kind of monthly basis to two independent journalists. They have been chosen because of their interest in this work and because of their dependability in altruism. And they pass the information on to me, and we publish it in our magazine, Share International. And where relevant, and over three years, the process has more or less, not totally, but more or less uh, complete, been completed. Over three years, Maitreya gave an extraordinary series of predictions of world events, happenings, which one by one in the most extraordinary manner have come true. And uh, these were given by the associate to the journalist, passed on to us, and we published them. And in the case of the world events and predictions, released them to the world's media over some 34 months. And uh, the whole of the world's media know of these happenings, and they simply have to relate the forecasts made by Maitreya to the facts, the facts as they have worked out in the world. Now, you actually have a listing uh, in one of your uh, um, newsletters that comes out of the Terror Center from Hollywood that actually says that Maitreya has appeared to people, and as a matter of fact, you list the dates. Uh, for example, June 11th, 1988 in Nairobi, September 29th, 1991, Mexico City, uh, January 26th, 1992, Mexico City, March 1st, 92 in Moscow, March 22nd, 92 in Leipzig, April 5th, 92 in Hanover, and most recently, April 26th, 92 in a German town. Um, how is it that we are constantly missing all this information? Well, the German town was Dusseldorf. Since then, he has also appeared in Geneva in Switzerland, and just recently, just last Sunday, in another town in another part of Switzerland. And these appearances are made at the moment to very large. I mean, I'm talking about anything from 500 to eight or 900 people, gatherings so far of uh, Christian, religious Christian groups, usually of what we would call fundamentalist type. In, uh, in uh, Latin America, in Mexico City, there were, of course, the Catholics. In, uh, in Moscow, to Orthodox Russian, Russian Orthodox Christians. In uh, Leipzig, Hanover, and Dusseldorf, they were to Lutheran and, and that type of, of Christian. In uh, Switzerland, there have been two Calvinistic types. Now, these are all very Orthodox, rather fundamentalist Christian groups. And it seems to me that what he is doing is, in colloquial terms, softening them up. It is obvious to me, and it must be obvious to him, that the, the most opposition to his acceptance as the Christ by any section of humanity will come from the Christian fundamentalist groups. They already see him as the Antichrist. There are books right now written, published here in the United States, about this mission of Maitreya, about Maitreya, about me as his leg man, as I say, all of which purports to present uh, him as the, as the Antichrist. And they are there to warn Christian, good Christian folk to beware of Maitreya and to see him as the Antichrist. So just if we have the time, I'd like to address this question of the Antichrist, because it's terribly important. Well, let's do it right now. Right. Well, the Christian groups, not only Christian groups, but especially Christian groups, see the coming of the Christ as being preceded by that of the Antichrist. And it comes from their misunderstanding of revelations of St. John. In St. John's revelations, if you imagine, if you remember, the, the uh, Antichrist is designated as the beast, 666, the name of a man, the number of a man. This beast is released, unchained for a time, and then, and then chained down for a time and half a time. Nobody seems to know what this means. It's really very simple. The beast 666 is the Antichrist force, as we call it. It is really the force of involution. It is a destructive aspect of the first aspect of God in Christian terminology, God the Father aspect. That has two phases. In its creative, constructive phase, it is the will to good, as I mentioned earlier, the Shambhala force. In its destructive phase, it is the 
what we call the Antichrist, a destructive energy which is deliberately released at certain times to break down the old civilization, to break down the old order, the old institutions, the old structures, to prepare the way for the building forces of the Christ. It was released through Nero, and this is what St. John is talking about, it was released through Nero, the, the Roman emperor, to bring about the destruction of the Roman dispensation to prepare the way for Christendom. It was released again in our time through Hitler, a group around him in Nazi Germany, together with a group of militarists in Japan and a further group in Italy. And these three powers, the Axis powers, in the war with the Allies from 1939 to 45, embodied the energy we call the Antichrist, the forces of evil. Not just their evil, but the evil of all humanity from the very beginning was focused through the, these uh, three groups. Hitler was not just overshadowed, which is a spiritual uh, method used by the masses, but obsessed, totally obsessed by certain exponents of the forces of evil on this planet. And in this way, he became the outlet for the Antichrist energy. That destructive force led to the, the war between them and the Allies. It ended, as we know, in the defeat of the Axis powers and therefore of a defeat of the forces of evil on this planet. They are not yet destroyed, but simply defeated for the time being. They have now to be chained down the beast having been released, needs to be chained down for a time and half a time. The forces of evil have a role to play in the upholding of the matter of the planet. The masters call them the, the, uh, the lords of materiality. Their role is to uphold the matter of the planet. They are on the involutionary arc. And if only they would restrict their activity to that, there would be no evil involved. But they have no love in their makeup, and their activity overflows onto the evolutionary arc where we are. And it's inimical to our spiritual progress and must be countered by the masters of the hierarchy under Maitreya, which it is. Now, the, the uh, way in which the, the B666 is chained down is by lifting humanity above the level inspiring and awakening humanity to reach a level where they can no longer be contacted and used by the forces of evil. And the beast will be chained down, or this process take place over the coming age, the age of Aquarius, which is some 2,500 years, and half of the succeeding age, the age of Capricorn. And in the middle of Capricorn, the Beast 666 will be released once again, the Antichrist force released again, and there will be another great war. This time it will be fought out on mental levels and will end in the total destruction of the forces of evil on this planet. Then our planetary logos, the heavenly man ensouling our planet, will take a great cosmic initiation, which until that time cannot be taken. And so people should understand that the what they call the Antichrist, and, you know, other groups have different names for him, Suriname or Suriman or, and uh, Ar Araman and so on. These are all names for this destructive energy, not a man, but an energy which is deliberately released to bring about the, the process by which the Christ can manifest in the world. Uh, it's behind us. It has been and gone and done its destructive work. That was the Armageddon, which... Christian groups still await to take place before the coming of the Christ. The greater Armageddon, the true major Armageddon, will not take place until the middle of the Capricornian age, some three to four thousand years from now. It is not at all insignificant that the decision to return into the world at all was made by the Christ, announced by Maitreya on the, in June 1945 significantly at the end of the war between the forces of evil, embodied by the Axis powers, and the forces of light, the allies behind whom stood the forces of light, Maitreya and his group of masters. Now, we only have a few more minutes, and I think there are a few things that people would like to hear. You say that we absolutely have to learn how to share raw materials on the planet. Is that correct? Well, you have to share the resources 
food, raw materials, energy, science, all of that. So the point here is that no nation can now any longer be the custodian of these things, can it? Not exclusively, no. The process, there are already plans set aside by hierarchy, evolved by men who are men of tremendous achievement in their own right in the world, financiers, economists, administrators, who are disciples, uh, disciples within the hierarchy, not masters, but disciples of the of the masters of the hierarchy and they have evolved a whole series of interrelated plans which will solve the redistribution problems we are undergoing a great spiritual crisis but it is focused today through the political and economic field and can only be resolved in these two fields we are beginning to see the beginning of the political resolution it's not by any means ended but we are beginning to see the the beginning of the end of that problem the economic problem is still there, and uh, the the uh, problems of world inequality have still to be have still to be met. These plans will bring about a very simple method of redistribution. If people are interested, it will go something like this: each nation will be asked to make an inventory of what it has and what it needs. All of this information showing what actually exists in the world, what the world cake amounts to, will be fed into computers in a great uh, new organization of the United Nations, specially set up to deal with the redistribution. At its head will be a master, or at the very least a third-degree initiate. A third-degree initiate is somebody who's three-fifths of the way to being a master. And each nation will then be asked to make over, in trust, into a common pool, that which it has in excess of its needs. Now, some great nations will have more excess, others will have less, and, of course, many third world countries have maybe just one small thing to give in excess. But whatever people have, they give into the common pool, and out of that common pool, the needs of all will be met. And so a very sophisticated form of barter will replace the present economic structure. Uh, one of the books uh, that I have had a chance to read is entitled The Reappearance of the Christ and the Masters of Wisdom by Benjamin Krem, C-R-E-M-E. It is uh, published by Tara Press. Uh, what are the names of the other books? Well, there is a sequel to that, which is called Maitreya's Mission, uh, a big book, thicker book. And uh, that, uh, there is also a book called... Uh, Messages from my trail of the Christ through me between 1977, September 77, soon after he came into London, and uh, the end of May 1982. My trail gave through me at my regular public meetings in London a series of communications which are published by Tara uh, Center as Messages of My Trail of the Christ, in which he releases his teachings, fragments of his teaching, inspire humanity to accept his presence, to uh, create the conditions of sharing and justice, which allows us correctly to move into the the new age. Um, There's also a book called Transmission, a Meditation for the New Age, in which I outline the science of energy transmission, which has gone on for years, and uh, the formation of transmission groups and so on, with very many answers to the questions which arise out of this. There's a very interesting book of 42 articles which are printed in Share International, the first 42 by my master. It's called A Master Speaks. Every month for Share International my master dictates to me uh, an article for publication in the magazine. He's done this for the last 10, over 10 years now and in this way he teaches and inspires and uh, guides the, the, the response of those who, who read the, the magazine into the correct frame of mind for an understanding of what's actually happening in the world today. Benjamin Krem, thank you for being on the show. It's been my pleasure, Bruce. Thank you for, for asking And I want to thank all of you for listening, and I hope that your own personal voyage through life towards the development of your highest potential is a joyous and successful one.
Tuesday.